Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast, where my identical twin brother and I share our thoughts and provide solutions for executives and professionals who want to become masters of speaking and communicating so that they can maximize their influence and impact. Yes, we are identical twins who happen to also be public speakers, executive coaches, and sales leaders. Our company, DSP Leadership Group, focuses on equipping leaders who want to speak with confidence and authority, all while using their authentic voice. Here on the Twins Talk It Up podcast, we present topics about communication and leadership from our perspective as individuals and as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Well, it takes incredible credibility and conviction to be able to put together the type of material these two gentlemen do. My brother and I are honored to be able to have two incredible leaders, journalists, reporters, also alum from the Mecca, Howard University in Washington, D.C. And we're honored to have Steve and Jim joining the program. Jim Trotter and Steve Weich, thank you for joining the Twins Talking Up program. How are you, gentlemen? Good. I appreciate you having us. Thanks for having us. Wait a second. I mean, Jim, I think we're talking to like Bruno Mars squared right here. (laughs) (laughs) It happens every time I go uh, go to Vegas or something. People are asking me, hey, are you you the stand-in? Um, it oh, Joe! I had it pushed out a little more. I actually did look like him. Wow. Okay. That it's not as famous. Serious, you got some serious access out there, man. <laughs> I do I do? Hey guys, this is uh, Danny. So from time to time, as we're speaking, uh, I'll say this is Danny, or David say this is David, so that the podcast audience knows who's speaking. As sometimes we, even though we look alike, we also at times come across and sound alike. If you did, if you tend to forget who's speaking, just listen to the one who's actually most eloquent, and then you'll know that is Danny. Um, yes, Dave and I have been competing since we were young. We actually went to Howard University together, as Steve and Jim has done. And so, Steve and Jim, please tell us a little bit more about your journey. How did you go from uh, going to Howard University, deciding to go towards journalism, and then how you became actually one of the premier powerful voices in the field of sports. We would like to learn a little bit more about your journey because this is very fascinating. Jim, Jim you can start since you finished before me. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, well, before I get started on that, I think Steve and I both would, would like to um, also bring in Thomas Howard, who's our producer. He's also a Howard alum. So it's really the three of us. Thomas who, Warren. Thomas yep. Warren. Oh, the I said Thomas Howard. Thomas. There we go. The Howard thing Thomas did Warren. You know? <laughs> I blame Steve for that because Steve was the first one who did it. So, yep. so now I do it. Um, but Thomas Warren, he thought he's our producer, also an HU alum. But for me, going to Howard, um, neither of my parents graduated from high school. And so college was never talked about a lot in my house. And fortunately, I had a couple of high school counselors who... Um, focused on minority students and wanted to push them in the right direction. Well, long story short, my senior year of high school, we had a um, Black Student Union State Convention. And one of the forums at the convention, which was held at UCLA, was historically Black colleges and universities. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of HBCUs. And one of the schools represented was Howard. And so when that panel finished, I decided that that's where I wanted to go. And it was late in the spring. I applied. I got accepted. But at that time, I didn't have the money to go. So I spent two years saving up to go. I went to Cal State Hayward, which is now Cal State East Bay, to um, 
you know, get some general ed courses out of the way. And after that, after two years of that, I transferred back to Howard and, and just immediately felt at home. I knew I wanted to go into sports journalism because, you know, even from high school, I, I knew I loved the games. I loved the competition, the camaraderie, but I also knew I wasn't going to be good enough to ever play at the NFL level. And so I wanted to find a way to stay close to the game without actually playing it in journalism was that way. And, and that's kind of how I got my start. Yeah, I mean, my, my story is very similar to, to Jim's, um, you know, and, and like Jim, you know, west of the Mississippi River, there's only one HBCU, and that's Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri. And so I grew up in St. Louis, but, you know, even though my parents were uh, Hampton Institute, that's right, uh, University, Hampton Institute graduates, <laughs> um, you know, there was never really a lot of a lot of conversation in my house about me attending in HBCU and I was getting recruited out of high school to play football. I, I didn't get one letter, hmm. uh, you know, ever from an HBCU. They didn't have the budgets to come that far West uh, a lot of the time. So um, I went to university of Missouri uh, to play football. Uh, the coaches have brought me in, got fired by red shirt year and new coaches made it very clear that kind of, if you weren't a starter or someone who was projecting to start right away, then, you know, they're going to bring in their own guys and they'll help you transfer. Hmm. And so I was looking at a lot of other schools, none of which were HBCUs. And then a buddy of mine was like, you know, we should go to a black college. I'll transfer with you because where, where I grew up in St. Louis, it was all white. There were very few families of color, let alone black families. And so I was like, hey, that's a great idea. My mother was always asking me about about that. So I applied to Hampton. And I applied to Howard. Howard got back to me first. I was going to go play football there and got there, decided not to play. And, and focus on journalism. I, I'd always wanted to do it. My father was a sales rep uh, for the NBC affiliate in St. Louis. I was always around the media. Um, and so I was involved in school newspaper and high school and things like that. So got to Howard and like Jim said, felt at home immediately. Um, you know, I, I was always worried. And I think a lot of people from my circumstance, maybe Jim, I don't want to speak for him. Sometimes you're like, you know, I grew up around all these white kids. Am I going to be black enough to fit in at HBCU. And within a day or two, I was like, yep, love it here. It, it was fantastic. Um, and as all of us know, those are some of the best years, you know, of our, of our youth, our young mm -hmm. adulthood um, that we could ever imagine. I appreciate you both sharing that. This is David. And for Dan and I, we grew up as military brats, grew up around the world. And we didn't know what diversity really meant until we went to Howard. People say, oh, you're going to go to Howard. It's so diverse diverse it's all black no dave nope. it's diverse yes. caribbean african i mean we we really were exposed and instantly fell in love with our experience at howard you can't beat it and i love how you said that steve when people give me that debate the real hu i don't even go there with them i'm like it's no that there's nothing about the real because you were an institute but i have much love for my hampton brothers i want them to do well and succeed they're just not the real hu <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so the, before we get into more of your career as journalists and reporters, specifically focusing on the NFL and your other work, I wanted to ask you guys a little bit about your Huddle and Flow podcast. I love listening to it. It's, it's incredible. Like you said, your producer is also Howard Grad. I love that. The chemistry you guys have. What have been some of your favorite interviews on the podcast so far? Not that I want anybody to feel like they're not your favorites, but I'm sure there have been a few that have stood out to you. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Live Love Thanks. 
Live Love Thanks helps purpose-driven women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs to permanently eliminate clutter and end stress and overwhelm so they can move forward in their careers, relationships, and health. Visit LiveLoveThanks.com for impactful coaching and program professional women. I am delighted to announce that at Meetup's customers can now benefit from the presentation and speaking training courses with our integration and partnership with DSB Leadership Group. DSB Leadership Group is committed to providing training and resources to support professionals becoming more effective communicators and increase their impact and value. And that is the reason why at Meetup and DSB Leadership Group have formed a partnership to make sure that our MSPs, which is you, can be effective and powerful speakers in the community. Whether you are hosting a major conference, a specialized training, or a year-end corporate event, finding the right keynote speaker or breakout speaker should be at the top of your priority list. Partner with Elite Speaker Services to book speakers according to your specifications and needs. Elite Speaker Services has the depth of speakers and the experience to bring you peace of mind and a successful event. Go to EliteSpeakerServices.com for all your event needs. Let us deliver the message your audience needs to hear. Let us deliver beyond your expectations. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners. 20% off products or services on our website. Just send us an email with the subject line podcast and we will send you that special discount code at dsbleadershipgroup.com. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Go ahead, Steve. Well, I mean, I, I have to say, my, I, I think my, my favorite was probably Demario Davis because, you know, he, he of, the, of the Saints, he's, he's an amazing human being. Um, he, was, he was really good. And, you know, he was telling the story a lot of his, of his daughter uh, who went through a cancer situation mm-hmm. and, and, and some of that. So I, I really enjoyed that. Um, Jamel, Jamel Hill, carry <laughs> champion was very good. We had a lot of fun on that one, Jim. <laughs> there were just so many. I mean, it's, it's really hard to say. Cause I mean, we, we learned so much like Sean yeah. Payton was really fantastic. Um, talking about a lot of things, Soledad O'Brien. Uh, so there's, there was, there was just so many things. It, it, it's so hard. Jim to kind of say which which one was the very James Winston was fantastic, yeah. Terry Fontenot, Brad Holmes, the GM of the Lions. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was great. I mean, I just there were there were just so many. Um, oh, you know what? Jalen Ramsey's got to be a top three. I, I think the Jalen Ramsey one has to be a top three as well. Definitely has attitude. <laughs> no, the the question it's kind of like asking us which are our children are our favorite. <laughs> <laughs> There is no right answer. I mean, but if you, <laughs> that's true. Uh, I, I can't, I can't pick one. I mean, you know, Steph Curry was great. Um, Chuck D was great. Namdi Asamoah was great. Right. Um, I mean, you could just go down the list. And the, the thing that I think is so beautiful about it is that it's not all football. So, you know, you get, you get different stories um, about what people are doing, how they got to where they are you know, what's important to them, that sort of thing. So I can't, I can't pick one, you know, starting out, you go back to the very beginning with Ron Rivera being so open about his battle with cancer. Um, It kind of set the tone. So, 
again, you're asking me which of my children do I favor most or love most. I can't pick one, man. I, I, I will I will say this though, Jim. I think one of the, one of the to me one of the most memorable moments. Um, we had David Culley, the head coach of the Houston mm-hmm. Texans. On. That's right. That was and, a good one. When, when Jim was really engaged with him, um, talking about his father, now his yeah. 94 year old father, who has since passed since the interview, how he was able to tell him, "Dad, I'm finally a head coach in the NFL," and it was just like one of those moments where you just had to kind of sit back and just really appreciate, you know, the the, the glory and the blessings of everything. And in that moment, Jim and I were like, man, just to have David Culley tell us that was, was, was just absolutely captivating. Yeah, that was amazing. I can't wait until we start digging into just your perspective on coaches in the NFL, but that was amazing. And you can take for granted those little things, but that means everything to him. That meant everything to his family to be able to do that. So I, I appreciate you sharing that, Steve. That was a great interview. Uh, this is Danny. I want to say that uh, I think it was a very much needed interview. A lot of people really didn't understand and know who David was and to be able to get a little bit more in depth, a little bit more of his background. I, I really pray for a successful season to, uh, this year for the Houston Texans and uh, for him and his staff as well. Uh, let's just continue on with that because I think this is very important to me. And I, I think the rest of the audience wants to know, we want, all of us want sports to be colorblind, but we know it's not. Uh, can we talk a little bit more about, the diversity in football and, and the diversity in the NFL. We know that in the last Super Bowl, three of the four coordinators were African-American. And we know that in the league, 70% of the players are African-American players. By the end of each NFL season, we can expect typically seven to eight coaching changes, a whole bunch of coordinator changes going on in the NFL. But we still don't see enough of the diversity hiring. Um, and, and thank goodness we had David. Of course, we had Ron Rivera, the Washington football team. But Tell us a little bit more about your thoughts on how we can make this a better progression uh, going forward. We've done a great job. The NFL has done a great job hiring more uh, women as NFL assistants. And you see them moving up the front office as well as the field, which has been great. It's been fantastic. But in both of your opinions, what could the NFL be doing more? And do you feel like uh, it is doing a good enough job moving forward? Jim? Well, I'll say this. It, it's kind of like what Byron Leftwood said to me. Um, you're asking us to solve a problem that we didn't create. Yeah, and true. so I don't think that it's on us to, to figure this out. Yeah. I think it's on the owners to figure this out because ultimately that's where it all um, starts and ends. So from my standpoint, I think we focus so much on, on the coaches that we take the spotlight off where it should be. And for instance, when we had Arthur Blank on the show, I think it's important that we hold people accountable. And it doesn't mean to be disrespectful, but it means to have a conversation that do you walk the walk? You know, do you walk what you talk? And for someone like Arthur Blank, you can't say to me that you're about diversity and inclusion and it matters and it's important. And I look at your organization, only one of your top 19 executives is black. So I think owners have to take a hard look in the mirror and say, are we going to be intentional, you know, in terms of of walking that talk? And I think more of them have to do with that. Look, as it relates to coaches, in my opinion, I think the key is that you have to have more diversity at the top levels of your organization. Because when a head coach is being hired, Who's at that table when the decision is being made? Typically, it's not someone who looks like us. And a lot of times, even during the interview process, 
it's not someone who looks like us who is involved. So I would argue that before an owner makes a decision, usually the last person that has his or her ear when it comes to making a hire is either the GM or the club president. Mm. Well, we know there's only one black club president in the history of the NFL. And we know that up until this offseason, there were only two black general managers in the NFL. So if we're not even at the table when the discussion is taking place and the decision is being made, then how can we expect for different results? So from my standpoint, it starts at the top. Jim's 100% correct. And look, even in society, when it tries to correct some type of diversity issues or societal ills, we often come to those who are being uh, persecuted or Mm -hmm. in the minority for the answers. You know, we're always having to explain why we should be hired instead of the people who aren't doing the hiring explain to us why they're not hiring us. And, And there's always some excuse that this doesn't wash. And so, look, the NFL itself as an entity, as a league, as policies in place, has really done, you know, and Jim will attest this, has really done a pretty good job of trying to incentivize through whatever means to get to get these owners to change their ways. But it, it's, it's up to the individual owner. It is up to the thinking. And, yes, we see now five black general managers in the NFL. Okay, so that's a, a step, right? And so some of those general managers are hiring black assistant general managers. You know, like we saw Brad Holmes do with Ray Agnew in Detroit, you know, and things. And, and so maybe that's a start, um, but no one should be patting themselves on the back because we're, we're nowhere near. And look, it's not just with, with clubs. You know, I just talked about how the NFL has got all these measures in place, but you look in their office at, at the very top. It ain't looking like no rainbow coalition up there, you know, and, and at our, at our network, at our NFL network, we have zero black executives making decisions right there. You turn on the network, you see all, you know, a lot of uh, black people in the newsroom, a lot of former players, whatever on air. But the higher you go up in, the, in that building on that floor level, the more sanitized it gets. So, hey, you know, Jim and I have a forum to talk about it, but we're still down here on the ground floor of the elevator. The decision makers are at the very top. In fact, a couple of years ago, Jim and I, we went and proposed a podcast to do a podcast and got laughed out of the room. Laughed out of the room. It was, it was, it was, Jim, you would say it was a pretty dismissive 30 minutes towards us. But, of course, in the summer of George Floyd and, and all the happenings that happened there, all these big organizations wanted to become woke and aware. So all of a sudden, the opportunity to do a podcast came about again. And so that's where Jim and I were able to, to kind of take this and, and do what we've done. Um, but there's, there's still, when it comes to decision-making, I mean, I think most of you know, when you get on a zoom call or an office meeting, ain't a whole lot of fo- folks who look like us on those calls. I agree. This is Danny. And I'm so glad you guys brought that up. I, I, I because I'm a, um, a speaker and trainer for Microsoft partners, uh, we know that the CTO, uh, CEO, uh, Satya Nadella said that there are going to be more changes being made, including in the boardroom. So even if you happen to move up the, the ranks and make it into the C-suite, are, are you making it into the boardroom as well? And so he is instituting change to try to make that happen. And I'm so glad you guys have decided to go in there and, and just really uh, start looking at how things go as you move up the stack. And, and I think because of us, the normal users, the normal audience members, we, we see you on TV, we listen to your podcast. And we're thinking, oh my gosh, you guys have made it. And you're like, wait, you, what about you, when you start going up the, the ladder, the executive rank? 
Uh, another thing that's popped in my mind as we talk about this is that during the last this draft, we had no HBCU football players drafted. And when I think about that, I think about Deion Sanders coming back, uh, was in the running for the Florida State coaching job, uh, decided to go to Jackson State. He's actually bringing a lot more momentum back to HBCUs. Do you feel that this is also going to help uh, users uh, at HBCUs who feel like, look, if I'm going to play football and I want to ultimately make it into the NFL, I now have a path by going to an HBCU, whereas in the path, there wasn't really much of that in the path as well, because I feel like there is some change that are being made, but I kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on that so that young men who are out there wanting to play in the NFL, uh, is this a viable path for them? Oh, yeah, Steve. Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, look, I, I think Dion bring Dion and Eddie George now at Tennessee State. You know, of course, you bring a Hugh Jackson with him to be his offensive coordinator. They're bringing more attention and focus um, to HBCU football programs. Um, but does that mean you're still going to be able to get recruits there? If they don't have the budget to go out and recruit and things like that, the name recognition will help. I mean, Dion's got some three and four uh, star recruits coming to Jackson State now, and hopefully that continues some momentum. But when some of these three and four stars get to go to, you know, see the facilities in Oregon or Georgia or Alabama, you know, it's different. I mean, it, it, you know, so it's it's tough. So hopefully that that, you know, from the recruiting standpoint and getting talent there, that helps because we are seeing a renaissance in HBCU awareness. Admission our applications are up at HBCUs. Admissions are becoming more difficult to get in because of the, the number of applicants coming to certain HBCUs. Um so we'll see. But in terms of the teams, you know, you talk about, you know, the there being no no uh, kids from HBCUs being drafted. I think only one's been drafted the past two, maybe three drafts. I, I can't I don't know the number. I think Jim may have the number. But look, a lot of it's because some of these scouts just aren't taking the time to go to a Prairie View or to go to an Alcorn State or something to really do their homework on them. COVID really negatively affected the FCS programs. I think only six players from FCS programs were drafted overall um, because a lot of these guys didn't have a fall season. Some of them, not all of them played a spring season like Howard. They only played two games, both against right. Delaware state. I think only three MEAC teams played uh, games in the spring. So that hurts. Right. And so, you know, that that's part of it. We'll see next year um, when they play a full schedule and, and, and hopefully, you know, we can get the coaching and everything to, to get some of these players recognized with some of the things being put in place with the HBCU Combine, the, um, the HBCU Legacy Bowl, things like that to raise awareness. But, um, you know, I, I just don't know. We'll, it, it remains to be seen. I mean, Jim and I have had this conversation. There are players at HBCUs who should get a shot yeah. to play in the NFL. But, you know, we saw this year when the free agency hit after the draft, a whole lot, you know, there's a good number of players from HBCUs here getting opportunities. But again, getting them drafted and getting the recognition, you know, we'll just see because a lot, again, depends on the budgets and things like that. But the exposure absolutely has been heightened. Yeah, I think Steve said it well. So, um, look, the reality is we, we've seen Dion go to an HBCU as a coach. We've seen Eddie George. And my understanding is there are some other high-profile um, former NFL players, including Hall of Famers, who have had discussions with schools about potentially taking on the job of head coach at some of these HBCUs. So I think we're going to see more of it. I do think that will have an impact in terms of bringing visibility to these programs. Um, I do think it's ridiculous that only one was drafted 
forward because it, you know, in essence, some would read that as there was only one worthwhile player um, to be considered for the NFL, which I don't believe to be true. And Dion said that um, after the season. So, you know, you just hope for the best. But, you know, we'd like to say that if you are a player, the NFL will find you. Um, and sometimes they're not going to find us in the round that we should be found, so to speak. And we have to go the long route in terms of being an undrafted person, but we make our way. And um, I hope at some point we get to that point where it's more leveling, it's a true meritocracy, but we'll just have to wait and see. Hey, and, and on that, guys, I mean, one thing, and Jim and I, um, I'm blanking right now. We had the head football coach of North Carolina a t on. Sam Washington. About yep. Sam Washington, right? He's got a running back. Jermaine, I think it's Jermaine Martin is his name. He's already being talked about as a, as a likely draft pick. But a lot of these traditionally black conferences, like the MEAC and the SWAC, they're getting poached or, or they're leaving voluntarily. Teams are leaving. There is going to be a, a potential seismic shift. Like the MEAC may lose three or four teams. A&T and someone else is going to a different conference this yep. year. Yeah, yeah. And I think there are some teams from the MEAC who could be joining the SWAC because um, some teams in the SWAC now are, are getting pulled into some other conferences, you know, because there's, there's more television rights and more television money. So just the overall traditional HBCU conferences, as we know them, those could be busted up. Yeah. So it's going to be very interesting Again, to see how these black colleges, in terms of visibility, they may get more in some of these other conferences. Like, you know, Tennessee State's been the Ohio Valley for a yeah. while, yeah. right? But they may not necessarily be playing the traditionally uh, black colleges and playing that schedule and having some of the things that go with it, the homecoming games, you know, and, and, the, and, and the, the marching band competition, things like that, because the economics are driving them away from these historically black uh, athletic conferences that we've known for years. Yeah, this is David. I agree with that, Steve. I, I'll tell you, I, I went to the Howard Games because I wanted to support my school, but I went for the band. I, I love the band. I love the music. There's nothing like HBCU football. And the direction of where these schools are going, you're right. I've been hearing a lot about these schools being plucked, at least from the SWAC. TSU has kind of made their stance. They're not going to go back to, uh, to maybe the MEAC or the SWAC themselves, although they keep their game with Jackson State. Um, but I would love to be able to see these schools get not just notoriety and get one of these offshoots, mocker, maker, going there for a season, but but we'd really be able to see these four or five-star players all go there. It would be such a huge shift. So I'm not sure what that's going to look like in the next few years if, in fact, these newer conferences like the WAC is now going to come and try to pull some of these HBCU schools. I do hope to see that the Combine – the HBCU Combine is not just here as a gimmick, but that it's really going to draw some of the attention of the NFL to see the talent that we have, that we have some incredible talent out there. Um, I wanted to ask you guys, when we think about the continued talk of the NFL and diversity, uh, why do you feel like race is still a major factor when it comes to quarterbacks? When we think about the quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, the last few MVPs, we talk about Holmes, we talk about Watson, been, Wilson, there have been some incredible talent uh, that have been African-Americans, and yet they still hear this narrative that, oh, they should switch positions, or maybe they're not as talented, they can't grasp the, the playbook that well. Justin Fields was the number one rated quarterback in high school, and yet he's coming out and falling down the draft boards because of opinions about him not working hard. 
And yet when I look at the Big Ten, they had a season because of Justin Fields. And so maybe it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Jim. It's got to change from the top. But it's just really awkward to continue to hear this same play over and over again, the same narrative, uh, because they're African-American, they're not going to be as talented. I mean, Wilson played at BYU. Nothing against Wilson, incredible arm. Uh, but the talent level that he played against was a subpar of Ohio State's talent uh, of what they played against. And yet nobody questioned if he should be number two. So I, I'm just curious as to what thoughts there could be from the GMs. What can we do to change this narrative? I don't want it to be because they're black. They can't play quarterback or grasp a playbook. It just seems unfortunate that that's still the talk. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Paul Jackowitz of pauljackowitz.com. For all your website design and management needs, visit Paul Jackowitz. That's Paul, J-A-C-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z.com. Thank you for checking out the DSB Leadership Speaking Podcast. If you are enjoying the program and are learning something along with us, please consider becoming a supporting member through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash twins talk it up. Also consider leaving a five-star rating on Apple and comment on our other platforms, including YouTube. If you'd like to learn more and get more information, we would like you to become a guest on our future episode. Send us a message via our website at www.dsbleadershipgroup.com. Are you projecting the right image to your market? Are you optimizing your name recognition and presence online? Elite Public Image is a leader in strategic communications and marketing solutions, ranging from public relations, brand communications, and content marketing strategy to social media and reputation management for businesses, professionals, and VIPs of all types. Whether you're looking to develop a spectacular brand or need a brand refresh, look no further than Elite Public Image. Visit ElitePublicImage.com and let Elite put their experience to work for you. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners for a free consultation over the next two weeks. Visit our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. No, I think the narrative is changing. I just think you have certain individuals who will still still mm. say those ridiculous things. And then the, during draft time in particular, everyone picks up on it because everyone is hungry for something mm. and to talk about something. Look, the reality is, as Doug Williams said, I think it was week two or three. There were um, four games, I believe, in which you had black quarterbacks who were starting against each other. And he thought back to his playing days to where when he played against the Chicago Bears and Vince Evans was the starting quarterback, that was the first time in NFL history that two quarterbacks who happened to be black were facing off against each other as the starters. And I remember Doug saying to me that for him, that was huge, you know, mm -hmm. even more, even more than winning a Super Bowl um, to some degree, because he had never thought that possible growing up. He never saw that growing up. So the way the college game has changed now with so many offenses using RPOs and whatnot, um, they're putting some of their best athletes at quarterback. And we're seeing now the NFL have to adjust to that. 
because it is drawing its talent, obviously, from the college game. So, um, as you mentioned, you know, the last two league MVPs have been quarterbacks who happen to be black. The uh, Super Bowl MVP two years ago was Patrick Mahomes. Um, we're looking at the number of, of, of quarterbacks who happen to be black who were drafted number one overall. That is increasing and becoming more regular. So the fact that you would have a Bill Polian or some anonymous um, personnel person say what he says, I'm not going to give them a lot of credence right. to that. That's always going to be there. Sure. Racism is always going to be there. So I choose not to focus on those limited individuals and rather focus on what we see as the trend. And the trend is that we are getting more opportunities and that we are succeeding. Yeah. And again, and you know what Jim said, what's also changing and, and here's where I'd like to see a little bit more progress is, you know, we talk about the black quarterback, look, Kyler Murray was drafted first overall. We, we've got more black quarterbacks coming in, you know, and as Jim said, the style of coaching is changing as well. Why aren't there more black quarterback coaches? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so so that's where I, I like to see the next progression because a lot of a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of uh, assistant coaches who happen to be black played quarterback like like a Lamar Jackson or played a style like Kyler Murray back in the day. These guys can relate a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. And as Jerry Rice, uh, we had him on the Huddle and Flow podcast said. Look, a lot of the stuff the NFL is doing now is what he was yeah, doing, yeah. you know, <laughs> at Mississippi Valley State, State yeah. you know, yeah. and, and you know, a lot of the formations and, and a lot of the concepts. And it is a lot of it is just kind of hybrid stuff that Andy Robinson and John Merritt, these guys were coaching at HBCU. So, you know, I think the thinking is, you know, it, as Jim said, I think it's now kind of almost an outlier in terms of someone coming public like Bill Polian and saying Lamar Jackson is going to have to switch to wide receiver. Well, no, there, there are coaches now who know how to play to his strength. When people say, oh, he's got to be more of a drop-back quarterback. No, he doesn't. You know, no, Kyler Murray doesn't because they're playing to his strength. And running is something that keeps defenses off balance. Why wouldn't you incorporate that into your offense? You know, some of the, some of the thinking is absolutely changing. Um, and, and so, again, I think we're going to continue to see more black quarterbacks continue to go because, frankly, we're looking at some of the best, you know, the best players in the NFL happen to be black quarterbacks. Exactly. Let me let me say this, too. When you talk about narrative, um, I think we often don't include the media in this discussion and we need to. And so I will say it from that use this example. And I'm not trying to single him out because I think he's a good dude. And and um, sometimes you get caught in tough situations. I, I've been there. But for instance, the whole thing with Justin Fields and Dan Orlovsky. Now, he went on air. He did. And disputed everything that had been said about Justin Fields, but then turned around and went on a podcast and said, well, this is what I'm hearing. Well, if you know what you are hearing, is not true. It should be incumbent on you then not to repeat it. I don't care if it is coming from a personnel person. If you have already said, broken down the tape and said, all of these things are not true. And yet you repeat it, you give oxygen to it. So I think it is incumbent on us in the media um, to stop perpetuating many of these stereotypes and many of these false narratives, because what do we know with personnel people during the draft? They tell us to our face, we are going to lie to you if it benefits us. And so teams will, will downgrade players, even though they don't believe it, hoping that that player falls to them. And so we in the media have to accept our, our accountability, our responsibility in this and say, 
that we're not going to perpetuate these stereotypes or we're not going to put out information that even our own eyes tell us is not true. So I don't think we should be excluded from the equation. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSB Leadership and visit us online at dsbleadershipgroup.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast.